From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come sit by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, no doubt you've heard reports uh, that honeybees are quickly disappearing. You've seen it on the news. You may have even noticed it for yourself firsthand out in your, your garden. Beekeeper George Scott is standing by. He's also an expert in chemical pesticides and will explore the link between the use of certain pesticides and the, uh, the decimated bee population and also discuss why honeybees are so vital not only to agriculture, the production of food, but to our very survival. A real wake-up call. George Scott is in Niagara Falls and we'll talk in moments. Just a quick note. Uh, there is no HOA tonight, no Hangout on Air. We'll resume the live stream on YouTube of this program in a few weeks, and you'll be able to stream this radio program once again on YouTube. In the meantime, please get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. There's a radio page there for this program, of course, and please visit that and explore it. You can register as a member by clicking on the, the blue member button on the, uh, the left-hand side. It's quick, easy, and free. Free. And once you've registered, you gain access to member-only areas of the website, like the, like the book club uh, and the, uh, the the audio archives. You can listen to past shows going all the way back to the summer of 2012. Uh, also at strangeplanet.ca is the live events section. And make sure you check that out periodically. I'll be presenting two great live events this fall, uh, September the 11th, Where Did the Towers Go with Dr. Judy Wood, and then October the 16th, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses. Uh, we'll also have some special guests joining us by Skype, and that'll be featuring uh, rock and roll investigator Gary Patterson. More information on those events coming soon. A Season 4 of my television program, The Conspiracy Show, now airing across Canada on Vision TV. Uh, just a reminder, Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. A brand new episode, it's Mark It Down, Season 4 of The Conspiracy Show, the television program, Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on Vision TV. All right, think twice uh, before swatting away those pesky, buzzing bees. Uh, since 2005, worldwide, honeybee populations have plummeted, leading farmers, scientists, beekeepers down a rabbit hole of anxiety and worry about the future of our very food supply. It's complicated, it's controversial, uh, and involves major chemical brands, environmentalists around the world, and uh, uh, governments around the world. Uh, and people should pay attention, even if they're not involved in these organizations. If honeybees continue to die, healthy eaters everywhere are going to have a harder time stocking up on favorite fruits and vegetables. George Scott has been a registered beekeeper for more than 25 years. He's a passionate advocate for beekeeping as a crucial component for Ontario's agricultural success, now and in the future. He's a member of the Niagara Beekeepers Association. In 2001, he founded the Niagara Bee Way, dedicated to the protection and preservation of Niagara's honeybee populations. George believes that the survival and health of the beekeeping industry is pivotal and is totally aligned to the mandate and concerns of the OFA at many levels. George Scott, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thanks for that great introduction. I'm feeling two inches taller already. <laughs> All right. So the, the, we laid out sort of the, the bad news, 2005. Uh, is that when we really started to take notice? Is, is that sort of sort of ground zero, or is that just when we started to take notice that bee populations were starting to die off? 
Well, we go back a little bit further than that, but 2005, really, we saw the first impact where we did not know what was happening, and it was a couple of years in a row, but for many years, we've been offering all residents of Niagara free service. If you've got a swarm of honeybees hanging on your pool backyard and guests coming over in an hour, and you don't know what to do, and you run down to Canadian Tire Home Hardware or your hardware store to get Hornet Blaster... Um, that's something you'll see our poster right there for an environmental alternative. Give us a call. We'll attend to your situation. We had those monitors out before they introduced the new insecticide. So we knew exactly how many people would respond, how many, where they were, et cetera, et cetera, for swarms because Niagara is the home of the honeybee. Hmm. One of the most God-given, perfect, beautiful places to be raising honeybees. We supply honeybees throughout Canada from Niagara, and we have a great history and a tradition of supplying honeybees for various pollination services, honey makers, etc., all coming from uh, the biggest honey producers who are here in Niagara. Okay, give us a sense, though, of, of, let's start with 2005. I mean, when you went out to your hives, were you noticing... A, a marked decrease in the in the population in your hives? Oh, for the first time, we were wiped out totally in 2005. We lost 100% of all the bees in our boxes, so we didn't have any. And not only that, we didn't have any dead bees even to study. They were gone, and it was a mystery. We call it uh, colony collapse disorder. All of a sudden, uh, they don't survive. And they all tend to die en masse, and the problem with that is not many viruses or bacteria really kill them like that. Well, that is that is a mystery because you would think, uh, you know, a few of them before they die would make it back to the hive and die in the hive, but none of them died in the hive, apparently. Well, you don't even have them. So what we immediately started looking at was, um, number one, why do certain bees survive? We had the Niagara Bee Way. It's a, if you go to the NiagaraBeeWay.com website, you'll see the map right on our home page. What happened was when we had our retrieval service out, here's our science. Every time somebody called, we say, what's your address? We put a pin on the map. Mm-hmm. It became very clear all of a sudden there were no bees anywhere else except for in a heavily concentrated area, two and a half kilometers on each side of the St. Lawrence Seaway. We thought it was a mineralization from when our grandparents dug the St. Lawrence Seaway, they turned the ground upside down, and that the bees were accessing some sort of mineral or some sort of something or other that was helping. Fascinating. And it wasn't. It was a water-soluble insecticide. They're insects. The water in the well and canal, since it's man-made, there's no drainage going into the canal. It's really a lake. So the water has no detection of the new insecticides or farm chemicals that we're spraying pretty much everywhere now. Now, who who figured that mystery out? That was an observation by looking at the board with the pins on it. There's our great scientists. Aren't we great scientists? We look at the board and said all of a sudden 86% are within two and a half kilometers. Over the next eight years, it went up to 96% and not within 200 kilometers, with two, within 200 meters. So that strip became smaller and smaller and smaller over the last 10 years since we first started to notice this phenomena. And we get almost no calls for swarm retrieval in the rest of the whole area of Niagara. So we are, we are much more concentrated along that water line because that's where the bees can tolerate this new insecticide. And, and how or when was it that 
beekeepers, scientists, environmentalists were able to connect the dots and figure out what was decimating the bee population? Oh, there's been hundreds of studies from people in France and Italy and all over the place about crops and yield and all sorts of interesting things. But what really is the key matter for the honeybee is that the honeybee seeks out this material. This material is chlorinated nicotine, and what the bees do is if you put sugar and water in a bowl and sugar and water with the insecticide based on chlorinated nicotine, the bees would go for that one all the time. Ah. So they, no matter how you use it or where you're using it in your backyard, on your roses or anything, the bees don't just get exposed to it. They seek it out. And they're crafty little demons, those girls. They can get in everywhere. So if you're making a pollinator garden and you're using that in your backyard or your dog's treated with this chemical and it goes to the washroom all winter long and then that urine or whatever from the dog goes up into a big cherry tree, it's totally contaminated with these new chemicals. And that's how the bees get them because they seek them out. Now, who is behind the production of this chlorinated nicotine and what is it, what is its purpose? Well, it is one of the most clever insecticides ever because you only need a little bit. Say, uh, say you're a farmer and you want to spray a field. You know, you've got that big tanker behind your tractor and you drop the two arms down and it sprays a mist. Right. And you used to put 6,000 liters of, uh, chemical in there, of which really, you know, 4,000 liters was water. So you're really only putting in 2,000 liters of, say, something like DDT. You're spraying that field for insecticides, for insect control, and you're putting about 2,000 liters in a 6,000 liter tank. The new chemical, you put in one liter. Wow. And not only that, it kills insects like none of the other chemicals ever before. This is a new type of chemical because we've moved into a new range of thinking. That range of thinking we've been very, very good at and give a big round of applause for our farmers. It's called understanding parts per million. Right. Everyone right. speaks that language now. You've got parts per million iron in your water. You've got crummy water. You've got sulfur dioxide by parts per million in your water. That stinks. You know all about parts per million. You get a cut on your arm, you're dying. You get parts per million of an antibiotic, you're fine. Right, right. This new insecticide is parts per billion. Oh it is my. absolutely lethal to bees at 36 parts per billion. Where I live here in Niagara, there is no equipment that can see this in action. We cannot detect down to 36 parts per billion with any of our medical equipment or our universities or anything. We can't go that low. <clears throat> you need very specific equipment even to look at that. And, and when did they? When did we, as a society, start using this uh, chlorinated um, uh, nicotine? Well, when we moved into this new century, okay, we, start, we started it. So the last 15, yeah, yeah. 15 so 16 in, years. Uh, in the year 2000, we pretty much started looking at it, and boy, did it ever hit well. And then advertising started to go out, and then it became a $6.6 billion a year supply market, which is an enormous amount of chemical. So now it's one of our biggest. It's not like a coincidental or anything like that. In Niagara, it's in 70% of our produce. Any, are there any uh, ill effects on, on humans? Have any human studies been done? Well, now that uh, the studies are just starting to come out, there are hundreds. There is no detection for somebody, nor are our doctors aware of what the symptoms are or how do you provide symptomatic relief. you got somebody coming in and they're shaking or jumping up on their left-hand foot. Well, somebody knows what that is. 
but our doctors don't have any diagnostic tools, nor can they send you into a lab and say, here, pee in a cup, and we'll tell you how much of this neurotoxin you've got in you. In Japan, they do, and they're finding many. So it is classified as a neurotoxin. It is a neurotoxin. That is its function. It's supposed to do that. Uh-huh. That's that's what it's designed to do. It goes in there, and its primary target is between the cells in a little place where a chemical called acetylcholine esterase is released between the cells. When you interfere with that with neonicotinoids, it keeps that signal chain open so that that cell line no longer transmits. And if you're an insect, that pretty much means you can't move, you can't eat, or in low doses, you forget. Forget how to fly. Forget how to get back to the hive. How to get... Well, the how to get back to the hive was a real mystery for many people. Why did the colony not only die, but how come there's no members in there other than just uh, the recently hatched in that last week, all clustered up in the corner of the new hatches. There's no nursing bees. There's no foragers. There's no defenders. There's no evaporators. There's no bricklayers. There's nothing in the hive except for young hatch bees. Okay, George, i got to jump in here because we're going to take a time out. George Scott, yeah. beekeeper, expert on uh, chemical pesticides. Where are all the bees going? How do we get them back? We'll get to more of this conversation when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back. George Scott is with us, beekeeper for 25 years in the Niagara region of Ontario and uh, also an expert in chemical pesticides. Where have all the bees gone? Uh, George, give us a website for uh, for your organization. NiagaraBeeWay.com. All small case, etc., but you'll find us. And uh, we do quite a bit of research here in Niagara for the beekeepers. Now, is is everyone now on board with the diagnosis of the problem that it is this particular insecticide that's responsible? I don't think you should say that. You run a great risk now in saying that an insecticide is responsible for anything. That's a, that's a statement, and that's a statement that can be used against a marketed product. So you have to be very aware because that is libelous. People are advertising the merits, and you're saying something negative, and that's opening up many doors. All right, got you loud and clear. Welcome to 2016 when a product now has the same rights as an individual. Isn't that a scary thought? When you <laughs> when you start attacking something, you have to realize it does have some merits. It was a design chemical to do something. What we're talking about here in the other industries are the non-targeted effects. When you're in the bee industry, you have to face many layers of insecticide. This is not a news story for us. Many, many chemicals that have killed bees are now banned. Chemicals that were used to be good for us, suddenly we found out non-targeted effects were not acceptable. Right. Now they're banned. So the same people who brought us this new neonicotinoid are on the same trajectory. And we're not advocating a ban. We're not, we're not those people at all. But we're just saying that we clearly understand now the effect of this. And now we are taking steps to mitigate our losses. So we have some happy thoughts here. Yeah, let's talk about, let's have some solutions here. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you had a bad year in 2005, 100% loss of your beehive, but here we are 2016, you're still in business, so obviously some of those bees have come back. How did you do it? 
So we looked at uh, with the major commercial beekeepers here in Niagara. So these are the guys who ship, uh, you know, uh, 17 truckloads, two men per truck, 560 uh, beehives per truck. So these people are very much married to the the bee industry, and they're multi-generational like myself. So when we look at some of the solutions here, uh, we understand there's a problem. We're not going to argue whether it's a cell phone or somebody else or it's bad business practice or bad bee practice. We're going to keep our bees away from the neonicotinoids. So when those plants flower that have neonicotinoids or when those crops are sprayed, we divert our bees by feeding them a luxurious liquid that they love and they can build their young with it. It's expensive for us. But when we put this out there in the field, it diverts them for a week or so because no tree and no soybean or no corn pollen or any of those things that are contaminated with these neonicotinoids bloom for more than a week or 10 days. That's just an industrial plant. After 10 days of diversion into our feed areas, the young don't really get exposed to that much neonicotinoid. The result is that we've dropped mortality from 44%, which are lowest, to 100%, which is our highest. Um, this year, we were 5%. Even in our grandfather's time, there was never a 5% loss. It's normally 15. We are we are aware of losses. That would be normal. Not 50 and 100%, but we are aware every winter, winter kills some insects. Right. We are aware of that. That's, right. that's a phenomenon. We can handle that, but we can't handle getting knocked out of business. So what we do now is we take our bees, and rather than leaving them in their winter sleeves, we refrigerate them all winter. We feed them at times when they would go to neonicotinoids. That allows us a controlled uptake for the bees where we are making smart decisions about how much of this chemical they're going to ingest. Right, right. That now means that we're in control of the situation, and we're really ducking the bullet. But we're ducking the bullet so well that rather than on a $3 million beekeeping operation to lose 50% of your genetics doesn't matter how you look at it you just lost 1.5 million right right to only lose 5% when you can double every year means this is coming up here in 2016 genetically speaking from the bees will be one of our best years ever all right that's great news but let me ask you about this then what happens though to the whole pollination process which bees obviously are an integral part of uh, if you are basically avoiding uh, you know the um, the uh, the blooms and so forth on various plants. The bees are are feeding on something that you're bringing in that's that's devoid of this this insecticide. Well, hap- public public awareness is a big issue right now because it's the release of this chemical that furthers the problem. And the problem in Niagara, and I can't speak for everywhere, but in Niagara, we have two main seed suppliers, Clark and Pioneer Seeds. Mm-hmm. Excellent companies. I know the guys very well. Very conscientious. But when you ask them how much of the neonicotinoid material they're putting on their seed coatings, you realize very quickly each one of them puts about 30,000 pounds out into the environment, but that's nothing compared to the urban release. Both Clark and Pioneer would put one truckload out. But if you did a survey right now of all of the products that are non-food producing, that are ornamental, lawn seed, Lawn, all of those products, pet supplies, pet shampoo, pet drops, all of those new systemic issues there. If you count the number of truckloads of that material in Niagara right now, it's six. So already, and the farmers only use this product in the springtime on the seed coating. Right. Sometimes they have a foliar spray, but that's a very, very small amount and only for a disaster. 
But we're, as urban people, on our pets and plants and roses and things like that, aphid killer, there are a number of products. As a matter of fact, there are now 560 retail products containing neonicotinoids. Farmers are not the problem for the release. It's urban people with pets. So we're swimming in this stuff. Well, we're starting to understand that now because we are testing the water everywhere and really trying to put a little pressure on each municipality. Before you get a well, you must pay the municipality for the right to take water into your house from that well. You, they will test it and tell you it's okay. But really, they only test for E. coli and chlorophyll content. They could be allowing field-grade chemicals at two parts per million, which is very, very small, right. of an insecticide going into your children. Why? Because your water was approved. It is bacteria-free. Mm. However, it carries a chemical wallop now that may not be something that you want to feed to your children. And it could be, you know, 20 years before, uh, I suppose, or longer before someone actually starts to show the effects. If we're talking about a neurotoxin here, I mean, this is this is this, this is a, this is all about the children. Right. This product is a embryonic mutagen. Those are scary words when you put them both in the same sentence. I'll say, I'll say. Listen, we so can, if you are a 10-year-old girl today and you're looking forward to eating your cornflakes and being big and strong, you have a right to Google how much neonicotinoid, I know trans fat, I know salt, I know sugar, I'm really watching my diet, how much neurotoxins in my cornflakes. That's the biggest problem right now and why I am so motivated. A high school here, Centennial High School, a bunch of kids got together and said, why can't we find out how much neonicotinoid, if it's so safe for us and so good for us, how come we can't know how much is in our cornflakes? It's in every bit of corn, right? Amazing, yeah. Why can't we? And now we notice that you old people are keeping this information away from us. Why? So they made a little video, and we helped them with sending our videographer and cleared it up a little bit. We put that on our website. It's called We Want to Know. Those are high school kids, and all they want to know is about if this stuff is so good, how much is it? Is it two? Is it 20? Is it 200? How much am I getting? Certainly in Japan now, they have patients who are being treated for this, and the only time they get this is from their food. And this... Uh Neurotoxin. How does it affect people? I mean, does it resemble things like uh, like Parkinson's, like tremors? The and, biggest and problem we have right now, if you had a dosage that was giving you some symptoms, none of our doctors know what those symptoms are. You could walk into your doctor's office here in Niagara, and they have no diagnostic tools, nor can they send you to a lab where you can pee in a cup or take blood or breathe into the tube or whatever it is to be able to tell you whether or not you have overdosed on this. Boy, where have we heard this before? It sounds like uh, the same deal with Lyme disease. They don't know how to they don't know how to diagnose and they don't know how to treat. You can't you cannot detect this. We had a hell of a time getting a lab. We now have a lab and we can test, but you know, we are limited to 250 test sites here in Ontario for testing water and its content of the top 4 neonicotinoids. And not only that, now we're starting to scratch our heads because these products, when they degrade, they change into different substances, which are more lethal. Oh, boy. And these substances like to join on to other chemicals that we've released in our environment, making a tertiary level or third level of things that you don't even want to know about. So we don't even have the capacity to even track those things now, but the primary chemistry 
is something that's in all of our food. George Scott is with us, a beekeeper for a quarter century, and uh, also an expert in chemical insecticides. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it, how um, you here you are, you're a beekeeper, and, and yet this has led you into this whole investigation uh, about how these insecticides inf- affect children. So in this case, I guess the, the bees really are the, the canary in the coal mine, aren't they? Well, you know, if you're surrounded by farmers and they have healthy birds and bees all over the place, it's great. But if one day you walk out and all of a sudden the bees drop dead right in front of you, it's a good indicator species that maybe you should pack your suitcase and go visit your grandmother and Barry. Yeah, indeed. Well, I I, I was asking you earlier, um, so you're, you're, you're limiting the bees' exposure uh, uh, to these uh, chlorinated um, nicotoids. Is that the, the, the proper... Neo, meaning new. Neo. Nicotinoids. Nicotinoids. Nicotine killers. All right. So those particular products now, we work with our neighbors. I live right here in an area where my neighbors are fabulous uh, Mennonite-based corn and soybean growers. They're very close to that. We communicate with them. We know what they're using. Yes, they are using neonicotinoids in some cases. And with those particular seeds, we know now... All about that plant because we know our neighbor. Because we work together, we know exactly when to put our feeders out and divert our bees away. Right. Or at least dilute their food intake by 50%. You know, we can dilute it. We can't stop them because they want that stuff. It's like bumming a cigarette. You know they're bad for you. But your buddy's got a full pack and you're going to go and say, hey, buddy, can I have a butt? This, this, These this, are the same way. This question, it almost sounds... Um I don't know, flippant or like a first world problem because we're talking about, you know, this horrible chemical and it's affecting children and it's a neurotoxin. But my question is if, if you're avoiding exposing the bees to these, all these wonderful, you know, blossoms that we find in nature because they're, they're, they have this insecticide, how does, how does that affect the, the, the taste of the honey? Is the honey different, demonstrably different? Well, uh, the honey, the bees have a way of taking this out and metabolizing all the bad things. So they're only putting a fairly highly pure thing in there for their next generation. Most of that honey is going to their babies. Bees can suck up all of the insecticide in many things. One of the girls out of the hundred that are doing the evaporation, she'll suck up all of the pesticide and fly out and die. So they are actually removing, to the best of their ability, all of those things that would affect their young, because that's where that honey's going. So they have a built-in thing. Unfortunately, when they start having a lot of insecticides, many of the girls need to commit suicide here to protect the rest of the girls who will stay behind. That's remarkable. All right, we'll take another time out. George Scott is uh, with us. Give us the website again, George. Yeah, it's uh, www.niagarabeeway.com. Have a look at some of the things we do in the birding area. All right. We will uh, be back with this conversation in mere moments. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with George Scott, beekeeper and expert in chemical insecticides, and the website is niagarabeeway.com, niagarabeeway.com. Uh, um, so what is your, um, 
I mean, what is what is going on in sort of the, the political arena uh, now? Are, are are we are we likely to see you know legislation? Let's say here in Ontario, are there other jurisdictions that are that are um, trying to do something about this at, again at the legislative level? Well, that's a big discussion. This is federally approved. There are provincial suits for damages. There are a number of municipal issues and other municipalities who have banned it. There are some regions who have said, no, we are not even having a specification on our winter de-icing fluid, even though it's beet juice driven and highly contaminated with neonicotinoids, more so than even any farmer would use on his crop. It's a residual chemical, and they're spraying it out there, but many municipalities won't even put a specification on that because this is too new a thought line. They haven't gotten their minds around that yet. The product is new. Even uh, bee juice in your area sprayed on your roads, and it's a great uh, product for saving lives. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But there are substitutes, and there should be a specification on that. Many municipalities in the U.S. are requesting bans. From Niagara uh, B-Way's viewpoint, we're not interested in banning any chemicals at all. But we are interested in realistically looking at their life cycle and how does it affect us here in Niagara, and is it good indeed for our farmers and just because our farmers are using it doesn't mean that we can amplify that usage times six because we want to control aphids on our roses or ticks on our dogs or whatever it is. Right. Give us a sense of how vital bees are uh, to the food supply when it comes to fruits and vegetables. Well, you know, you're talking about things that, uh, let's say that you're a blueberry guy. Right, You make blueberries, and your blueberries without any bees can make $4,000 an acre, and you got got 1,000 acres. You're a rich guy from blueberries. $4,000 an acre. You put bees out there, and you're making $12,000 an acre. Because they improve the yield bees that much. Bees go to every flower, and mm. every flower is pollinated and makes a blueberry. The wind can pollinate blueberries. You can do it without bees, but bees are efficient. That's the beauty of the honeybee. He's so efficient. He goes on the cherry tree and he pollinates every possible site. Oh, is that right? Interesting. That's why the yield goes way up because the wind gets about 20% of the sites. The bees get them all. Early blossoms, mid-range blossoms, and late blossoms. doesn't depend on the wind. Those bees are very frequent in there, and they get them all. They're very efficient. That's why people love honeybees. It maximizes what a plant can do based on its flowers. That's fascinating. So let me just repeat that. So wind alone will will provide pollination for 20% of the blossoms on, a, let's say, a blueberry bush. Yeah, depending on cherry trees or peach trees or whatever you need pollination services for, right. you pay for those because it makes more money for you. Right. You're increasing the yield yes. five times. Yes. Uh, you know, it is a it is straight revenue. Yes, you might have to buy more packaging because you got more peaches or more apples. But if you don't buy bees, you'll find that the trees really do suffer. The bees do a lot more than just pollinate. They tend to tend the tree. Now, while all this is going on with the bee population, anecdotally, I have no scientific data here, but anecdotally, I would say that that there are, there seems to be a lot more wasps uh, and hornets around. Well, they're the enemy of the honeybee. They, now that the honeybees are weak and can't defend themselves, the meat eaters come in. Yellow jackets and all those things that sting your kids when they're, up, they're running on the lot, the things that live in the ground. Right, right. You know, bees like to live up high in trees or in bee boxes. 
But all of those little meat eaters that are wasps and hornets, of which there are 114 here in Niagara that are not honeybees, but will sting you if you sit on them. They are ornery. All of those things are the, really the enemy of the beekeeper. Ah, okay. the, the yellow jacket will kill a colony by going after its young and pulling the larva right out and eating them all and killing every honeybee on their way in. So we don't like yellow jackets, and nor do you. I would call them a pest. Interesting. Okay, so they're um, they're basically uh, filling the vacuum that's being left by the uh, the decimation of the bee population. I would say that they're being decimated at another level. We're just not noticing it because we don't make any money from them. If right. their population dropped by 50% per year, would we ever really notice? In the bees, we control the imports and the registered numbers of bee hives every year. You have to register your numbers. The only issue with that statistic and where it's really been used and misused is that when they say, Honeybee hives are really on the increase. Look at here's the registered ones in October. Add to that the new imports here in March, and that's a big number. The numbers shouldn't be added together. They should be subtracted from one another because no beekeeper would ever import a bee into Niagara unless all his bees are died. Got it. Great point. All right, we'll take a time out, come back. One final segment remains. George Scott, beekeeper, NiagaraBeeWay.com. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. And we are back on The Conspiracy Show with George Scott, a beekeeper expert in chemical insecticides from Niagara, the Niagara region of Ontario. And um, yes, huge problems uh, facing uh, the bee population. We started to take note in 2005. We seem to have identified... Uh, part of the problem, the culprit. Uh, but some good news. And now, uh, just uh, regale us again on what you're doing. For those joining us uh, late, George, how have you uh, been successful in, in uh, um, ameliorating this problem? Okay, so the biggest issue here is losses for a beekeeper. A beekeeper will invest X number of dollars into his genetics, so he'll have 100,000 colonies, you know, at X number of dollars each. If 50% of those colonies die, he's lost 50% of that 100,000. What, what we try to do is we try to prevent those losses. So really stepping up to not fight anybody, it's useless to fight the chemical companies, it's useless to fight the government or bring them in or have more inspection, but let's just avoid the problem. That was the decision we made here in Niagara. How could we take active steps to make sure that our girls, our little bees, never got into the problem? Diverting them with food that they really love and is very nourishing means that it costs us a lot more money to maintain our bees because when the plants blossom that have various things that have neonicotinoids in them, we're heavily feeding our bees. They don't get as big a dose. The young that are coming in the next generation don't get as big a dose, and that has reduced our mortality significantly by a factor. What used to be 50 is now 5. These are all good, good, good words, but that helps because all of our neighbors here who are also grain farmers and beekeepers work together for these solutions. We're not fighting or saying anybody's bad. We're just saying we've got a problem. How do we solve it together? Now, this is a made-in-Niagara solution, correct? I mean, you uh, and your colleagues developed this solution? 
No, we have got a number of wonderful bee solutions here on the varroa mite, the big deadly parasite. Uh, we've got four years of tremendous success in fighting that mite off. We published that. Uh, we are open to peer review. Other universities and other countries have picked up our research from Niagara, and they are doing similar studies and adding to our body of knowledge on how to control us. We put an insect into our bees. That insect goes on guard and kills the parasite without hurting the bees in any way, shape, or form. Fascinating. We got that from the grain growers. It's the insect that they put into the grain silos to eat out the things that eat grain. These are little meat eaters. They're not interested in eating our grain. And they are food-grade. They are food-grade approved insects, if you can believe that. And so you're in your, how are you getting those insects inside the bees? Oh, we have a whole process. Uh, natural insect control produces these insects in large quantities. We get them to over 137 beekeepers who are our peer reviews, who are reproducing the same experiments we're doing here. Um, after four years, there's a tremendous amount of success. This is very organic. This is using an insect to get rid of a Chinese parasitic mite that's attacking our honeybees. And, but how do you get that meat, little meat-eating insect inside the bee? We uh, sprinkle it across the top of the hive. We open the hive up and sprinkle it across the top of the hive with a little bit of media in it, like it looks like vermiculite. And what happens is these little bugs run all around inside the beehive with the bees, but their primary target is the varroa mite. Every time they run into one, they just take a bite out of it. You know, this is amazing, the, the work that you're doing down there in Niagara with bees. You should have, this should be like the, the worldwide capital of beekeeping in Niagara. It is, the, uh, it is the center and has been the center in Canada for many years. It's just that our big beekeepers are quite silent guys. You know, in many cases, they've hired me to speak about this issue because I've worked for a chemical company for many years. I've run the bacteriological division of that chemical, so telling me that a bacteria is killing the bees or that your cell phones are killing the bees when it's really a chemical doesn't get past me. <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I am from this industry. Right. But right. there are very few people with 25 years' experience in beekeeping and president of a petrochemical company. You don't find that mix very well, and, and this really is part of my karmic payback. <laughs> Interesting, interestingly put, your karmic payback. I mean, do you, really, do you feel remorse and responsible? Well, you know, all my life I have been a, a, a formaldehyde and asphalt for road paving kind of salesperson. Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, we have tried to move our corporations into more friendly earth science things. And up to the point now where I look at my future next 10 years, I'd like to immerse myself in beekeeping, which is something that's multi-generational for us and very pleasing for me. I, I like it. It's profitable. Um, we do it right here. So with all, and we have lots of friends who do it, so it's a very good decision for me to go more further into beekeeping. That's my plan. It's a, it's a fascinating craft. Um, how long is it, how, when did man first, can I use the term domesticate bees? 5,400 years that we've been doing it. Egyptians or their precursors started it, weaving reeds together and jamming the bees in there until they made honey and then knocked the thing over and take their honey. That's 5,400 years ago, the first recorded, domesticated bee. It's come a long way because we put a little math on it there with a guy named Langstroth. But uh, other than that, it has 
not really progress much until all of a sudden we're starting to look at losing them and what are we learning about and how can we mitigate our losses. So we've learned a lot in the last 10 years about bees that they haven't known for hundreds of years. And in terms of handling bees, uh, I mean, we see beekeepers handling them. Uh, they're wearing like a bee beard and so forth. They seem to be, if treated properly, incredibly docile a creature. Or is that when you smoke them? No, no. At different times, they have different behaviors. So man has learned how to manipulate the bee to make and take his surplus honey. So we have learned how to do that. At certain times when the bees are not defending, they're not defending their young, they're not defending their food, they're not defending their home, um, they can be treated with a hormone that says, here, please come and touch me, I'm the queen. You put such a hormone on your face and you could have 60,000 bees forming a beard on your face because they're responding to a hormone. They're not defending, they don't sting, they've come to see the queen. Ah, Interesting. So that hormone is what drove that. That's a neat trick of beekeepers when you have a swarm of bees around to have them all come out and go on your face because it makes you look very brave. But really, you have subdued them by a command saying, come to me, I am your queen. You see, we're getting some uh, amazing inside baseball information here. Um, And what is the difference between... uh, a domesticated bee and a a honeybee that we would find out in, in the wild? In Niagara, all the honeybees here came from Europe. So what we're finding now along the Niagara Beeway, because this is our, one of our oldest communities in Canada, the old cities of Thorold and St. Catharines, where you have 200-year-old churches, they're some of the oldest buildings. Well, they've had bees in there for 190 years. And some of these bees we're noticing that they are very much different than the current domestic bee-in-a-box, the, the commercial standard. Right. Um, they're nasty little bees. They have bad behavior. They've been bred. However, they don't seem to be affected by many of the diseases. So the and those bees have not been imported into Canada since the 1920s, before the first or second World War. There's no record of them. These are escapees that have survived in Niagara. We call them Niagara Queens. We search for them. Our uh, free response program means that we get queens in swarms from all across Niagara. We have several hives right now this year of that little black bee that lived in northern Italy and southern Austria. And that bee there has been replaced by a super bee now who makes more honey, more honey, more honey. But this old bee is only found here now. And you're saying it's more aggressive? It's a little bit more aggressive, only when you stick your hand in there, they'll, they'll send the Imperial Guard right away walking. The, the Imperial Guard, I love yeah, the that. the guards that are the guards of the nest. The, the ones that are ventilators won't come out to defend. The Imperial Guard is what the Queen says when you look like a bear and you're standing at the front and a scout comes back and says, hey, there's a thing that looks like a bear out there, send out the Imperial Guard. They're out there to sting you. She she gave the command for some bees to sting and not all. And their language is remarkable. This little dance that they do. Uh, one dance says, you know, there is there are, there are uh, peach blossoms two kilometers this way, and another dance means what? There's a bear out there. Well, we call that sign language, first mm-hmm. of all. So we think we're pretty smart because you can write everything down about how to build an engine, and you can die. And your predecessors can come and read that information and know how to build an engine because you wrote it down so perfectly. Right. Well, bees have sign language. 
in the hive where it's dark, they do that little shake. That's a cherry tree, two and a half kilometers, turn left at 100 kilometers, and there it is. And they get that information tactile, right? That's a shaking little dance. Right. Everybody knows where that cherry tree is because of the symbols. So that's like sign language, hand signs for people who are deaf. However, on every cell that's capped over with wax, they contain different things from a bee. When a beekeeper opens it up and takes all the honey out, he takes it all out in one shot. Right. But some of that honey is for parties only, for winter only, for the young when they have diarrhea. This is medicine. This is pollen. Here are young. Each one of those caps has a type of braille on it that the bees can read and they understand what it is, even though it's sealed beyond their detection, in wax. So not only do they have hand sign, but they have writing. But wait a second here. The queen releases a hormone. It's hot in here, more ventilation. They can communicate by smell, and all of them start fanning more because they want to bring the temperature down. The queen commanded them by hormone. Also, they have antenna. Mm-hmm. The antenna go into the biggest part of their brain. Even though the eyes create a big chunk of their brain, we have no idea how they are using their antenna. That's for Wi-Fi. That's for frequency <laughs> reception. We're not, we're not even there yet because we don't even know what they're doing with that. Absolutely remarkable creatures. They are absolute. And now that we're losing them, we are understanding more and more and more and more about them. And really, whatever help we can get to further our research in this and in a kind of friendly, non-combative way, we're not fighting the grain growers. They're our neighbors. Why would we fight them? We're not fighting the pesticide manufacturers. We need them now and 20 years from now. Exactly. We, you know, right. we want to find the right answer to being able to survive and go on to 2017. Well, I think you're taking the ex- the, the correct uh, path here because, as you know, uh, honey gets more flies than vinegar. That's exactly right. That is a very mature view, but very hard to implement when sometimes you are outraged by things and you want to pick up an axe and swing it. Well, and it's very appropriate when we're talking about uh, bees. George Scott... Uh, once again, the website. www.niagrabeeway.com niagrabeeway.com Now, incidentally, that video that the um, uh, the students at, was it Centennial High School? Yes. Uh, they put together, uh, is that available on the, on the website? It's on the website. It's called We Want to Know. Okay. So if you go on the video and it says We Want to Know, click on that. It's about two minutes long, and those kids, I think, are quite serious about the fact that they know how to tie their tie at Thanksgiving without asking anybody but Google. (laughs) All right. George, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and the interest. I appreciate it. George Scott. All right, NiagaraBeeway.com. My website, strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to this radio program. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Serrett, S, Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. And as always, follow the truth. Mm-hmm.